And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. Welcome to For the Love of Guns and Picket Lines Friday. Gary. <laughs> How are you? I am doing really, 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 really good. You know, yesterday, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just say this. I was at a charity luncheon yesterday, and I turned off my phone for 90 minutes. Mm. I don't remember the last time I've turned off my phone for 90 minutes. I came out, I go into the parking lot, turn my phone on. I'm like, oh, my God. There's like 20 stories. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why? I, I can't even take a break for 90 minutes yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, any anymore. But uh a uh, lot, lot of questions uh, for the president uh, uh, yesterday. In fact, he uh, gave a speech, and when it came to taking questions, here's what he had to say. Let me close with this. There's a lot more I know we could talk about. I wish I had a chance to take all your questions, but I'm going to get in real trouble if I do that. I'm going to get in trouble if I take <laughs> questions. They don't want me taking questions. Hey, hey, everybody, what do you say I take a question? <laughs> And we'll get uh, to that coming up here in uh, a little bit. But uh, the UAW on strike now. Yeah. A little over an hour ago, they hit the picket line. So at three locations. And so uh, we'll see where it goes. According to all reports, they are nowhere close to a deal. It's interesting. Some of the reading I was doing uh, uh, yesterday talking about the, the fact that the uh, you know the unions feel betrayed uh, by Biden, and one of the reasons is, and where was the one headline? I think it was John Carney who wrote this. Uh, uh, the UAW is fighting Bidenomics and Biden inflation. That one of the things of the deal that they made, you know, years ago, when remember when the, the whole bankruptcy thing and and all yeah, that back when Gettelfinger was used, was uh, leading the union. Right. Yeah. One, one of one of the concessions that they made was. Nothing would be tied to inflation. Mm-hmm. So they view what Biden did, you know, in increasing, you know, inflation by yeah. all this spending yeah. as directly affecting them. But I do want to play this audio cut here because it's Lawrence Summers. Lawrence mm-hmm. Summers, who remember, was in the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Was in the Obama, Obama administration. administration. Yeah. Treasury secretary. But advised the Biden administration not to do what they right. eventually Advise did. Advise him not to. 
to be spending as much money as they did because yeah. we would get to the point of this uh, uh, inflation. And he really he uh, was doing an interview on Bloomberg yesterday and really mirrored a lot of what we said mm. when asked about uh, the union situation right now. What do you make of that situation and what it really says about the state of the workforce and the state of technology, for that matter? Because, as you know, that's an important element in it. We're all we're all watching uh, the UAW automobile industry nexus is less dominant for the whole economy than it was a generation ago, but it's still a big deal, and I think it's going to set a template for a lot of things. Here's the thing, David. I fear that there's a bit of an endgame dynamic going on here. Between the fact that electric vehicles take about 40% fewer workers per automobile, and the fact that a large part of the action in the automobile industry is moving to the southern part of our country, the UAW northern part of the industrial belt part of the country is going to shrink no matter what. And in that situation, the incentives for the union, like the incentives at one stage for the coal miners, like the incentives one stage for the steel workers, are to get as absolute much as uh, they can uh, while they can. And that, I think, is probably the underlying economic force behind some of the aggressiveness uh, that we're seeing. And my guess is that this is going to be a uh, difficult uh, dynamic going forward for the economy. Uh, at Lauren Summers there, former Treasury Secretary during the Obama administration, and again uh, was one of the uh, top people from the Obama administration that warned Biden not to spend the money that they were spending right. post-COVID because of the inflation that it would cause. But I think he makes a lot of the same points that we've been making this week. Uh, there's uh, uh, there a couple things that he missed, but we'll get to that in, in, in just in that sentence. I'm sure he knows about it. Uh, but when he talks about, we've talked about the fact that it takes fewer workers, you know, to produce electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. What he didn't mention was the fact that the companies can't make profits on electric vehicles. Right. And since the the electric vehicle mandates of producing more over the next five to ten years, that's just going to increase the losses. Uh, four and a half billion uh, came out yesterday that Ford has uh, lost mm-hmm. on uh, on electric uh, uh, vehicles. And so long term, what's going to happen is the unions are going to be uh, weak as they move, as you have automobile jobs now move to right to work states and out of the country. And that's what it's going to do. And I agree with Lauren Summers. Wow. I agree with the Democrat. Mm. Uh, I I agree with a more Keynesian economist. I was going to say a, a Keynesian. Well, he but, was but at he's, one time. But, but he's not. He, this isn't Keynes. He's not no, being no, Keynesian no. here. No. Uh, whatsoever. He's being, you know, realistic about mm-hmm. economics. And economics is about incentive. And if you sit there and, and he makes a great point, they're going for whatever they can now for the next four years because they realize they may be gone. That was the abstract Lawrence Summers. Think about that. Back in the day, talking about and promoting Keynesian economics and talking about these things is when the Democrats could still talk in the abstract and now they're facing reality. And Lawrence Summers 
has been, I think, very clear and blunt about where the economy would go right before they were going to spend that $1.9 trillion. And now with, you know, with the situation with the unions, where that whole dynamic is going to go, I think it's going to, I think it has the potential here. Uh, depending on if the unions hold the line or not, to change it, it's going to change eventually anyway. What the strike could do is move up the clock. You know, we look at the uh, different business models that are being affected by automation. You see more kiosks on the inside of, we said this was going to happen years ago, but I think COVID accelerated it, uh, inflation accelerated it, but inside the the dining areas, what used to be the dining areas of fast food locations, you see kiosks where people can go in, they can order it, they get it to go if they go inside at all. And all of these automated uh, functions within a business, including apps and everything else in our daily lives that take people out of the equation, still requires people to program those apps, still requires different jo- or jobs, but they're different jobs. When it comes to putting EVs, as you mentioned, it doesn't take as many humans to put one EV together as it does a gas-powered engine. Even though they're more expensive. Yes. Probably and, because of the battery packs, I'm and, assuming. Right? Yeah, and you, you look at you know, you look at where where we are now and and where this could go. I mean, obviously you're gonna see more robotics, but the move will be to get away from these union states, go to right to work states or leave the country altogether leave the country, yeah. to do the manufacturing. Yep. I mean they're not there there really isn't much choice when it comes to the survival of of these companies and I know the unions hate that but how much of this can you not put on your union leadership you know uh they didn't get a deal back in the day and I know a lot of union workers weren't part of that they weren't there maybe back in the day but uh with Gettlefinger and and them not tying this to inflation you know, and 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 the 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 very real scenario of a rally that will happen, still scheduled to happen later today. I'm guessing it's it's going to happen, and scheduled to be there is Bernie Sanders, who, if he had his way, he would have spent a lot more than 1.9 trillion, and who knows where inflation would be, and how bad it would be in terms of profits for car manufacturers and everybody else, and this strike might. Might have hap- had to have happened a long, long time ago if Bernie had gotten his way. But, you know, union leadership, they ignore all of that. Well, there's there's two things here, and it's something that, that we have said uh, over, you know, since we've been working together uh, about, you know, uh, unions and the, and the major unions uh, uh, today, the UAW included in it. And we have criticized, we have criticized the union leaders from the union perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very familiar with it, being a former United Steel worker, former International Association of Machinists and Aerospace uh, Workers uh, uh, member. I clearly have been involved one time in actually in union negotiations when I was in my 20s at that particular uh, point. But a that union led to the demise of your the deal led right. to the demise of your job. Let, I didn't have seniority, and I said I, they asked me. They said you got a college degree. What do you think? And I said. I'd sign it, but it's a great deal. Sign it, but I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. They go, what are you talking about? I said, well, it's an immediate 10% raise. I was one of the last hired. I will be out. Right. They're not, yeah. they're not, there's going to be, and I was out. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and so that's the reality of economics. 
mm-hmm. the reality of economics. Yeah. And, and I was in the I was in the middle of the reality of economics where I said, well, for you guys, you've got the seniority. Yeah, it's a great deal. So if I were you, I'd sign it. I'm not happy with the deal because I'm going to be blown out. And I was, yeah, but, right. but it all turned out right because I, but I did go to another company where I, where I was a machinist and then I ended up getting laid off there. Hmm. And then at, uh, after uh, that, I've been in radio since, so I have yeah. no complaints whatsoever. And, yeah. and I understood what it was. I wasn't angry or anything like that when, when that, would that happened. But the, uh, but one of the reasons they asked me is that the workers didn't trust the business manager. Now, that was a small shop that I worked in. And so the business manager came around during contract time. It wasn't where the business manager was there at the plant, you know, you know, doing the negotiation where you mm-hmm. had somebody there. Mm-hmm. He just he just appeared, you know, once every couple of years. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't a trust from the workers. And this goes back to the late 70s. There mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of trust with the workers, you know, with the union management at all way back then. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm assuming we had a couple of calls from union workers a few weeks ago when we were bringing this up, and same thing with their management. But the management exists to do the best for the workers, not just short-term, but long-term. And the union leadership in this country, the UAW, should have been screaming bloody murder over a decade ago uh, about the whole climate change, about climate change and illegal immigration. They should have been screaming Mm -hmm. about it, Mm -hmm. and they didn't. No, they went along with it. They went along with the whole climate change thing. The, the, the Ford CEO uh, uh, yesterday, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, uh, but he said we can't give them big raises if we have to transition to EVs. We need the money to transition to EVs. Right. And the reality is, there the government is forcing them, even through the subsidies, to make a product that they still can't make a profit on with the subsidies. Right. Well, somebody has to suffer somewhere. Right. And if the company is to remain in existence, who's going to, you can sit there and say, yeah, but the CEOs, but the CEOs still, if they make 5,000 times as much as an average worker, that in itself is not going to change the overall economic dynamics of it. It's just not going because that's one or two or three people, whatever, because they always look at the CEO and say, well, that CEO has gotten, therefore we need to get it. Well, where do you get it from? Right. Where are you going to get it? Now, you may be able to get it from the profits of the gasoline trucks and SUVs right now. And you may be screaming that you did that, that you haven't got it over the last couple of years. So you want it. But they're looking at the future and they're saying the government's forcing us to make EVs that we can't make a profit on. We cannot do a long term contract with you where we bring in all these benefits. We cannot go from. And I think the number was. $65 an hour uh, average of what it costs per automobile worker to $155 an hour. Right. We can't do that right. with the government every year. We have to make more of a percentage of product that the government is forcing us to make that we can't make a profit on. They should have been screaming bloody murder about the whole climate change and the transition to EVs, and they didn't. They went along with it. Yep. And... Look, I mean, how long do you stand there and, well, I mean, I guess we're getting that answer, actually. We're seeing the answer. How long do you let union leadership do this with your wages? These are your dues going to leadership, and you're not sending leadership to tell them that we need to stop this nonsense. 
We're not seeing that. What we're seeing well, is it's too late now. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we've reached that point. I answered my own question. Yeah, we've crossed that line. That's the threshold everybody was waiting on. It's only a matter of time before they're making cars somewhere else. Yeah, just the reality. When you can drive through Detroit, Motor City. And nobody's making cars. Wow. I mean, you you sit and you watch it happen. You you don't see it happening. And still today, union leadership has the rank and file union members screaming that the CEO is making too much money. Okay, fire the CEO. Take all of that salary. Take their back salary from the last two years. Does it make any difference? Does it make any difference in the profitability of the company? No. Nope. It isn't. It may tap the brakes, but it's not going to change the inevitable. No, because you can see you you can see where it's going. You yep. can see the slope of when the government forces you to make a product, and we we already know. It's common knowledge. Everybody knows. Anybody who's looking for a car right now is going. My God, I can't believe it. I got to take out an eight year loan. Right. This is re- we're we're at that peak, and and the government is telling them, you know, you've got to produce vehicles that people don't want, that are less efficient, less productive, and you can't make a profit on it, even with the subsidies we give you. But you have no choice. This is what you have to do. But the and this is all because of the climate change mm-hmm, crap mm-hmm. and the union leadership went along with it yep. year in and year out instead yep. of screaming bloody murder right. that this cannot be done and telling the Democrats we're not going to support you if you do this and they didn't they supported the Democrats they supported the union leadership supported the Democrats who were attempting number one. Remember the coal industry Mm -hmm. to kill the coal industry and to kill the car industry. Yeah. The profitable car industry. Right. Right. And the union leadership sat around and let it happen. And where's this going to land? It's going to land in the future exactly where it was always going to land. The car companies will go broke. Someone will, will swoop in to buy them up. Union jobs will be gone. 86690 red eye. Did you know that up to half of all major engine failures are due to poor cooling system maintenance? That's a lot of downtime and can cost drivers big. You expect a lot from your engine, which is why the cooling system must be a part of your maintenance routine. Here's a tip to keep your cooling system in shape and your engine running smooth. Make sure the system is properly filled with coolant at every PM interval and during pre- and post-trip inspections. Underfilling the cooling system can cause corrosion and your engine to overheat. Coolant is also used to keep DEF tanks thawed in the winter. If you notice unusually low coolant levels, be sure to have your cooling system inspected by a professional technician. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio.
And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Radio Radio. He's Eric Carley. I'm Gary McNamara. More coming up on the automobile strike. Uh, Hunter Biden gets uh, indicted. Impeachment. You see, wow, McCarthy was out there early this morning. Yeah. He was out there yeah. real early this morning. Right, right. Uh, after meeting with uh, Comer and, uh, and, and Jim Jordan again and came in. And it was the same thing over and over again. But they, they were going through. He was going through again every single point. Yeah, it was a it was another crazy day. Yeah, it really was. Yep. So that and more on the way. The Bonus Show. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hardy, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning and uh, welcome. Uh, you know, I, I, as you can tell, you know, you and I both get uh, passionate, uh, you know, over, uh, you know, for example, the UAW strike and what union leadership has, has done in this country. Um, and the reason that I get passionate about it uh, is for years, uh, I was called for years. I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. I was called anti-union because I came out against public unions and I am anti-public union without question for private unions. I'm neutral. Yeah. Right. I'm neutral on it. You survive or you, you survive or you die. Yeah. If I were in a union, I would want the company to be profitable 
And I would want the business model to be a long-term business model, right. which includes profitability. I want to know that that job is going to be there. I don't want to drive the job into the ground. Right. My my fury comes from the fact of, you know, when I was called anti-union, where I think the evidence is out now, the most anti-union people has been union leadership over the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And especially over the last 10 years, or you could say 20 years, with the rank and file not agreeing with things like illegal immigration and moving to EVs, and the management basically, you know, whether it was a coal miners union that we 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 talked about in Virginia that endorsed Obama after Obama said, my goal is to kill it. And you're just you're shaking your head as you're, you know, as I'm being called, I'll speak for myself again. I'm being called anti-union when the biggest anti-union people in this country have been the leadership of the unions. Right. But as to public unions, just like the uh, uh, the labor leader, George Meany or FDR. I'm absolutely against public unions. They don't make a profit. And as for unions in the private sector, go ahead, do it. Now, we'll look at it, and 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 I don't believe, I, I look at unions and go, mm, they're antiquated compared to, uh, compared to unions of 50, 60 years ago. Mm. And when you see, for example, trying to unionize Starbucks, if the union movement leadership believes that's how they're going to revive the union movement, they're insane. That's a revolving door right. industry. And and so, you know, we, we talk real you know, realism when it comes to economics, but unions are allowed in this country. And I'm neutral because economics will decide whether you survive or not. Not me, not you. Economics will serve will will be the decider on it, and that will be is it a incentive or disincentive? For the economy to be completely union-driven or half-union-driven or 10% union-driven, what can the economy stand? And when the when the disincentive becomes more than the incentive, well, you've seen what's happened to private sector unions over the last 50 years mm. and also with technology. And when you can monitor people individually and reward people individually, which is completely different, for example, from an assembly line, where everybody is performing their particular, you know, job on an assembly line, even though assembly lines a lot have changed the way that they, you know, that they used to be. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was easier to have a union. And so when I say antiquated, it's because you can you can monitor the jobs are becoming different and you can monitor what an individual is actually doing them and reward them or get rid of them based on being, you know, an individual. But the biggest, one of the biggest signs of weakness of why I say unions are antiquated is the movement to attempt to unionize fast food. Mm-hmm. Not the way it works. When seniority is the thing, when seniority is the thing that unions have relied on for the longest time, and we've also talked about this for the longest time, that what part of the problem that makes unions antiquated is the relying on, and this is economics. This isn't a, you know, emotional reaction to whether I like unions or not. It's based on economics. And when seniority is the basis 
of reward and job security and not performance in a modern economy when you can analyze what everybody is doing that's not going to work out long term right yeah. and and so you know that's always been my views but the unions never paid me a cent i never got a cent of union dues even when I helped in the negotiating mm. of, of well, the not negotiating, but the analysis of a contract is mm. what they asked me for. Mm. Take a look at it and tell us what do you think we should go. And this was the local, you know, board. And I was the only one with a college education. They go, you got a college education. Look at it. I go, you guys can do it. Now nah, we'd just be, you know, we know how you think. Go right. look at it. Yeah. And so, and I had no, there was, I, I, I wasn't angry. So there was no emotion there. I understood the situation and the economics is where I was in. And it was like, okay, I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've been there. I've lost my, I've been laid off from unions. I've had the lower seniority. I've been laid off because a great contract was signed where friends of mine benefited and I was booted out the door. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality of the way that economics works. And I dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm neutral on private unions. It's like, you've got to survive in the economy. Public unions, I'm completely against because Government is not in the profit-making business. And just like George Meany, who was viewed as one of the greatest labor leaders in American history, or FDR, who was a president that really pushed the union movement, both were absolutely anti-public unions. Right. Um, you know, the and, and where we are right now with everything, so many things being fragmented, including the components to put together a, a car. Think about it the way it used to be. I mean, uh, your brake parts are made here and your your other parts are, are made, you know, in another country and all of this. And then it's assembled here or it might be partially assembled there. I mean, it's really fragmented because that's just the way the, the economy works. And the fact of the matter is you could get to, uh, again, a much higher level of automation at some point. At these plants, and these plants just might totally go away. They might leave the borders altogether. And if they leave, if these companies set up foreign plants to make their vehicles, then I don't know if anything brings them back. You know, we're going to get to the end of this road when it gets closer and closer to the mandate, and we realize as a nation it's not possible to make this happen. Right here, the top, you know, because I haven't looked at it in a long time. You haven't seen it. But remember when you had Japanese cars that were the most American-made vehicles? Yeah, it was, uh, for a while, the Toyota Camry. Right. The top four right now are all Teslas. Mm. All right. Being subsidized but can't make a profit. Then the Honda Passport, Mm. Volkswagen ID4, Honda Odyssey, Acura uh, MDX, Honda Ridgeline, and Acura uh, RDX except for the electric vehicles with Teslas that are subsidized, that are the top, and not selling nearly what, you know, other vehicles are. Everything else is foreign, mm-hmm. most American-made. That's the difference now. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's all, everything is so fragmented in terms of what it takes to put any vehicle together and where you get the components from. Uh, looking at the remainder of the full list of 100 vehicles, the first from the big three is a Lincoln Corsair in 16th place. Mm. Wow. The most American-made GM product is a Chevy Corvette in 19th place. Mm. 
the um, most American, the most American-made truck, the Honda Ridgeline. Hmm. Uh, not shown the most uh, the most American-made full-size truck, Toyota Tundra, hmm. at number twelve. The next most American-made is the Ram fifteen hundred at number twenty-eight. Wow. So there you go. I mean, that's that's the situation. We are a worldwide economy, whether you like it or not. And for everything that all the countries, even the United States, have attempted to do, where government plans, the plan is we're going to do this or tariff this or do this and do that. You can't stop economics. Well, and in fact, when you do that, you end up forcing what we're seeing right now with government central planning in the United States you're moving car manufacturing from the unionized north to right-to-work states and all over the world. Well, look, um, you know, Democrats like Bernie Sanders would love nothing more than to make those union workers public union workers. And that would be through taking over the means of production <laughs> yeah. as a country. And at the, But at that point, you're union in name only. Well, <laughs> when the government... They'll when, tell you what you need, and right. there won't be any negotiation. Yeah. There won't be any walk-off unless you're actually quitting. The union movement in communist countries is not extremely strong. It has not had leverage in the past. Right. We'll just say that. <laughs> Historically speaking, yes, yes. it has not worked just yet. And these are the uh, dynamics of giving your money, your wages, in dues to leadership who gives it to a party that would that is looking more and more to end your job. I saw there was a witness who testified before Congress yesterday that said it's the big it's the uh, the big liberal CEOs that want massive this massive Im- illegal immigration and whatever mm. into the country mm. uh, in order to keep labor costs low. Yeah. Uh huh. I'll have to find that story here. Mm. I know I know I saved it. It's in my pile here. I just it just popped up into my mind right now. So. Yeah. But um yeah. Uh I just just wanted to say that because we've been talking union stuff for years and um but things are changing. But it's interesting the the betrayal now that the union leadership is looking at the Biden administration. Well, where the hell were you ten years ago? You're yeah, paid right. those you're paid those big salaries to anticipate what was going to happen. Right. And you failed miserably. Right. All that money going to support a, a party who was hell-bent on destroying your jobs. Yeah. And still is. Yeah. And has been pretty blunt about it. That's no, the they, thing. No, they. It's, <laughs> here's what Biden will tell you. Learn to code. Joe Biden will say that to you. He's already said it to other unions. And we were screaming back in 2008 when Obama said, we're going to kill the coal industry and the West Virginia Coal Miners Union endorsed Obama. Yep. And then by 2012, they said, well, we're not going to endorse anyone. Well, he's trying to kill your jobs. The other party is trying to save your jobs. Right. And you're saying you can't decide. And where is the coal industry today? All but gone.
you know, it's it's it, it's ludicrous behavior. I I don't get it. I don't know how there hasn't been an uprising in the union ranks to change the direction of leadership to say that we need a long term business plan from the union perspective to make sure that these jobs don't go away. And I really do fear that it's too late to fix this. Well, you did see yesterday eight Democrats joined the Republicans in uh, voting uh, legislation to kill the California EV mandate. Mm. So you have some Democrats starting to wake up to say, you know, the EV. Because now, they, I'll say this, the big three are, are not even the, the all the, I think all the uh, OEMs sent mm. a letter to the uh the, the, I don't know if it was a president or whatever, but mm. uh, it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about it on the air. I think it was the president, the administration, saying, you're killing us. Yeah. You can't survive right. with the EVs. There's no way they can. And, and it's the same thing with, with the grid. It's the same. Mm-hmm. It's, there is no difference between you know talking about EVs and the grid. Right. It can't work. Right. Let the private sector figure it out on its own. And when they come up with an efficient, affordable vehicle that's an ev then let the private market and the and the buyers in the market decide 866-90-RED-EYE get in touch with red eye radio toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. By the way, yesterday was a rainy, gloomy, and dark day. It was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at my house, we didn't get much rain at all, just a few minutes, and then it was just kind of cloudy. Oh, we day. got a ton of rain. You know? Uh, just and a, a ton. It was we, great. We had had rain over the last couple of days, and I was happy that I was able to actually get outside and do things. You know, I was like, okay, couple days of rain. I'm done now. Yeah, it was great. It rained. And we haven't had rain in, what, a couple of months? Yeah. And so, it rained nice and hard. It was yeah. it was great. And it was dark and gloomy and a little cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it didn't really get warm at all. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. 
And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Uh, all right. Census Bureau put out information this week. What is what is the number one place in the United States for poverty? California. Sorry. I didn't have my microphone on. Yeah. California. You are correct, sir. California still has the highest poverty rate in the United States. You and I remember when the Census Bureau changed uh, their their way of figuring out poverty. Yeah, right. Because, uh, and it was the correct way to do it. They used the McNamara model. Yeah, because I said that for the longest time, that they were judging poverty by the average wages that were being made. And as we always stated, it doesn't matter what your wages are. Depends what your wages versus the cost of living is and what you have when you have to, you know, whatever you make, what you have to pay to have a basic standard of living and what you have after that is what would decide it or whether your salary can pay for the basics. And once they did did that, California was always bragging, we have the highest, we have the highest. And then the Census Bureau changed it and said, no. We have to, you know, it's the, that's the only way to measure it, by the way. Yeah, it's 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 what you make in relationship to the cost of living at where you live. And, and that's important. By the way, I'm glad they didn't use the Harley business model, which would have been what you make versus what you have left over after vacation. <laughs> State of California still leads United States in poverty, according to new U.S. Census data released on Tuesday. CalMatters.org reported The supplemental rates are calculated on three years of data, and California held the top spot for a number of years, almost entirely because of its high costs of housing, utilities, fuels, Mm. and other consumer needs. Yeah. And it's, well, duh, what do you expect? Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly, uh, you know, it's interesting. You look at these dynamics. It's it's used in debates, right? Where the all right, where's the where's the greatest poverty in this nation? It's been used in debates for a long, long time. But the fact of the matter is, is that the people in these states are the ones who know the people in California. And I go back to a colleague of ours who was getting close to retirement a few years ago and said, I love California. I love my state, but I can't stay because once I go into retirement and I'm living on a fixed income, there's no way. Because here's the thing, you know, with any state, it's not a fixed cost. You're going to have inflation along the way. Costs are going to keep going up. That's just the way it works. Uh, You're hoping to stay within that 2%. We've blown that out of the water in terms of inflation. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that you also have these other Massive costs that come along with it, the cost of government, state government costs in California are huge. The regulatory costs are killing business. They're killing families in terms of their budgets. And you you look at, at that now where it is and, and you add to it the fact that they uh, decided to, in these major blue cities in California, defund the police and have a rise in crime. And that all is part of an economy that is that's the basis of an economy. You need those companies there. You need workers there 
and they're leaving. And so who knows what the cost will be going forward? I mean, it's not going to politically, it's not going to change in California. I say right here, the ultimate irony of California's uh, high poverty rate is that it's a deep blue state where all the political power, all of it, is held by left-leaning Democrats who profess to sympathize with the plight of the uh, poor. As City Journal noted in 2018, unfortunately, California, with 12% of the American population, is home today to roughly one in three of the nation's welfare recipients. The generous spending, then, has not only failed to decrease poverty, it actually seems to have made it worse. Now, there are one... There is one area in the United States that is not a state that actually leads the nation in poverty. California is the number one state, Mm. but there's another jurisdiction uh, which is also completely Democrat controlled Mm -hmm. and having their own massive crime problem right now that leads the nation uh, in poverty, and that is the District of Columbia. Yep. Yep. By the way, think about that. You know, California is a is a huge state, a huge area. District of Columbia is a small area that probably has more government funding that has put it in probably more federal dollars. If you take per square mile, more federal dollars are spent there through government salaries and everything else. I would, I bet you, you could make an argument that the, per square mile there is no place where there are more federal dollars spent, and yet it leads the nation in poverty. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and what do you have? You have that cycle. That never ends. Well, we need more federal money. Why? Well, because we have more poverty. Well, you look at the basis of why you have more poverty. Well, it's because they're, again, the cost of government, cost of state government. Well, so we need more federal dollars. Well, why is that? Because we have more poverty, because we're spending more. But we need to spend more because we have more poverty. But we're, we have more co- but poverty because we're spending more. Because we're putting all these regulations into place i i don't I, I don't know how people do it i mean honestly you know one of the one of the things for me that was interesting to watch was these uh tv shows on hgtv back in the day i guess they're still on i don't know I haven't watched cable tv in a long time uh i only see hgtv when i go to my doctor or my dentist Why does every doctor's office and dentist's office have that playing in the lobby? I guess it's the thing. But you see these, you know, uh, John and Diane are shopping for a home. Their budget is $1.2 million. He works for the post office, and she's a retired school teacher. How is their budget $1.2 million? And they have another $300,000 for updates on the home. Their t- entire budget is 1.5. Can they come in, you know, can they can they stay within budget and find the home of, you know, their the uh, of their dreams? And it's like you know, you see this where of course it doesn't reflect reality. It never does. And the reality is 
this is massive poverty where it's, again, this vicious cycle. It's never going to change. The Democrats are in control, and it doesn't matter. How does it not just change like, you know, on a dime when you get to a point where you can no longer afford to stay in the state that you were possibly born and raised in? How does it not politically shift in a big, big way? Not that I expect them to go and elect a Ron DeSantis, but someone more moderate. I mean, California's had their Republican governors in the past. Uh, Arnold was technically a Republican. You know, but you, you, when you look at the dynamics of the cost of government, Arnold was a part of that, you know, whole, well, the, you know, the environment and, and we've got to spend on this and this and this. And those regulations are what makes fuel so high. Somebody posted it on, on X the other day, uh, what they paid. It was like, I, I think it was like 580 a gallon in California. Uh, and I don't know where they, I don't remember where they were exactly. But I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how is that not the threshold? You're spending every dime you have and more, maybe going into debt trying to stay above water. And how does it not change the dynamic politically across the board with people where they say, we work really hard, our state has tremendous resources we live in a great state a massive state that still has tons of humans living in it plenty to to drive a thriving economy so what is it that's wrong let's change what's wrong because it is man-made you know you when you you said this and it just made me think of of something i did uh, yesterday when you were talking about the fact of how do people do it? When you think about California, you think about inflation and everything else. I was at a luncheon yesterday uh, for this uh, organization out of Arlington, Texas, called Arlington Life Center. Mm. And I've just always been a big supporter of them because I love their mission statement, mm-hmm. which is transitioning people who, because of circumstances, just get to be you know out of control, that they become homeless. But the goal is not just... You know, it's not to feed. It's not to give you a place to, uh, you know, stay and enable your drug habit. You want to have to change. Right. And the whole point of it is transitioning people out. And they've had, you know, a really very successful uh, 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 record. That was one of the biggest discussions yesterday is how inflation is really just killing oh yeah people at the edge right now between and they talked about the fact of you know as we've talked about apartment prices right and and they haven't maybe gone up as much here as other places but maybe they have because we because of the influx of people coming in but they were talking about just a couple of years ago it was like for a one-room apartment you know a basic one-room apartment was like 700 and something and now it's like 1200 yeah Right. And yeah. it's like, you know, you're on you're on the edge and you're trying to work and you just, you know, those kind of costs. And they talked about, you know, just how, uh, you know, how much inflation uh, has harmed people at the low in the lower economic, uh, you know, salary ranges. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you and I've talked about 
all the time. Mm-hmm. That and and you look at California here with the poverty rate, and you see that you know the what we've been fighting all this time is the wrong belief that a big government number one can control an economy is completely ridiculous. Whether it's a Democrat who agrees with it or a growing number of Republicans who agree with it. Mm-hmm. Because what it causes is what I was talking about with a bunch of other people yesterday. You know, uh, you know, when, you know, because the inflation we have is all government policy. Now, I didn't bring that up in the discussion yesterday because it was more about the people, you know, the success stories that they have had. Mm-hmm. But inflation came up. And inflation is because of government policy and government policy only. And then all of the money that you throw in, and that's what City Journal uh, and, um, uh, oh, I can't think of his name, uh, Professor Magnet, that uh, one of the first books I read on basically socialism and the big welfare state. Mm -hmm. And I read that, I don't know, probably in the 80s sometime, and it really helped change my mind. If you ever saw the guy, I mean, this is, I'm thinking of the picture of him, the author on the book, uh, is it Martin, Marvin, Magnet, whatever. Uh, uh, But he, you'd look at him and go, oh, he's a leftist hippie. Not, he's like, this is what happens when you do it. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book called The 60s Legacy to the Underclass, the massive social welfare movement. And now it's actually had the opposite effect. And this entire thing that if you care only if you believe in huge government programs to solve the problems that don't work. Right. Because why is California number one in poverty? Because of government policies, state government policies. And the belief and promoting the belief that if the government controls the capital, they can allocate it to have a more equitable state. And it doesn't work that way does it nope nope and so it was just yesterday i was you know particularly just because it just it just it kills me it kills me when you know i i you and i both had those times in our lives where it was really tough mm-hmm. and we were living paycheck to uh to paycheck i talk about it and mm-hmm. you know i've always been a happy person and i always knew that i would grow out of it and i was willing to work just like you were two three jobs whatever it took mm-hmm. But I mean, those were those were tough times. But for me, I was single. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different ball game when you're single mm-hmm. than if you have kids and whatever. And there are people out there that are trying really, really hard to do the right thing. And sometimes life comes and bites you in the butt, and you don't know what to do, and you can't get out of it. And so that organization that I went to yesterday, you know, there were some of the people that do it. But I hate that. I hate it, and I hate it when. When you've got these elite bureaucrats, these blowhards sitting up there telling you to give them, you know, give me your money. Think about it. And and we've stated it because I think it's a, you know, to pick out a particular person. Anybody who believes that Biden, that Joe Biden can actually run an economy and he can allocate capital to successfully make it so everybody lives equally the same type of quality of life if you believe that you're insane based on the history of the last 60 70 years of the great society that is not so great of a society it's a you're delusional if you think that 
that he can do that. If you no. think anybody can do it. If you think anybody. If you but think, he's a prime example. I'm using him as an example, but no Republican can do it. No. Trump can't do it. No, the only thing they can do is get out of the way. Yeah. It's how you nurture the environment for the expansion of wealth because the expansion of wealth benefits everyone. And, and I, I just use Trump because we've used that a couple of times when, you know, back when, not as much now, but back in 2016 when we would say, well, no, these things are what he wants to do to control the capital is ridiculous. And people would call, well, he's a businessman and he would know how to use a taxpayer money. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Shut up. He doesn't know how to do it. Well, and, you know, look, it was a strong indication. Nobody when, does. When Larry Kudlow came in. Yes, When he was. brought in yes. Larry Kudlow, it was like, okay, we're going to have to have. Because if you want to talk about having an, a, an entire spectrum of economic advisors. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He did. From from the one end to the other. You know, but, and, but it was it was the Larry Kudlow's and Steve Moore that won out in the end, especially with trade. Navarro didn't win. And, 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 and I that was abstract versus reality. Yeah. Reality won. And the reality of California isn't going to change. That's the sad part. No, it's not. That state will not change politically. 86690 Red Eye. This owner operator driver report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. Drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. This report is brought to you by FPPF Fuel Power Max. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up next, 90 minutes into the show, we haven't even gotten to an impeachment inquiry or the gun indictment on Hunter Biden. Uh We'll get to that coming up. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Why you shouldn't let your drug addicted son 
get a gun. The president's son is a gun nut. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, before we get the before we get to the the legalities, well, we'll get maybe we'll get to the legalities here of um uh Hunter Biden being indicted on three different felony gun charges. Mm. One of the things that was brought up, and I think it was Andrew McCarthy who brought it up. I read so many articles on it, but I think it was Andrew McCarthy who um, uh, who uh, uh, brought up the the fact that the Department of Justice came out. They're the ones that said, because I've seen he could face 10 years, but the Department of Justice said 25. Yeah. And they were like, 25 years, maximum 25 years in prison, 25 years in prison. And Andrew McCarthy brought up, he goes, if he is found guilty, they're going to fight that like crazy because the depart the same Department of Justice that said twenty five years just six weeks ago said zero time. Yeah, what's right. going on here? Right. Yeah, <laughs> that that's what they're going to fight if he is found guilty of the of of the charge. Right. And I'm like, okay. And the other thing I think that he uh, brought up was, uh, remember the Democrats were trying to say, well. You, you don't you don't prosecute. They don't prosecute these people who, you know, who lie, mm. you know, on on the form. Mm. And as we brought up and as he we brought it up before and he brought it up before. That's for people that lie and try. Yeah, they call it lie and try where you're trying to get a gun. You lie about it and you don't get the gun. You don't get it. They rarely follow up with a prosecution in that case. Right. But this was lie and succeed. Yes. He got the gun. Right. And then. The third charge of possession of the gun, mm-hmm. unlawful possession. So it's interesting when you break down the three charges here. Uh, I do think that, yeah, they'll appeal and go, hey, we, we had a deal. Then they went back on the deal. And then they came at us with this other stuff. And <laughs> as McCarthy, we believe it's but, politically motivated. Well, <laughs> oh yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, we believe it's politically motivated. There's yeah. a, did you see who? Was, I, I think Goldman, my daddy is coming after me. Goldman said this. <laughs> this shows obviously there's a two tier system of justice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> Goldman better. Go, you know, I'd watch what Goldman says because he could. He himself could put Hunter Biden in jail. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> With what he might say next. Uh, or Joe, he might put Joe in jail <laughs> by what he says next. Why is to... Joe Biden weaponizing the Justice Department Perfect. against his son? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Uh, the the uh, other thing that was because uh, I, I look at this and this is. This is the Department of Justice trying to CYA, I believe, number one. Yeah. And I believe number two. And I think McCarthy, Andrew McCarthy, sort of, I've got to make sure we say Andrew McCarthy because I don't want to get confused with the speaker, Kevin uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's been talking about uh, other things. Mm. I will once in a while, I'll see something in a headline go, McCarthy, why would would Kevin McCarthy do that? That's ridiculous. Oh, that's Andrew McCarthy. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, Andrew McCarthy wrote the book Ball of Collusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he former federal prosecutor. Mm. Uh, I I look at um, uh, I you know I I look at uh, him. I still think that the one who does the 
best job. Not that he he, but they do it. Uh, they do it in different ways. Mm. Turley makes it simple for people to understand. Yeah, everything yeah. he does simplifies it and makes it very simple for people to understand constitutional uh, law. McCarthy does a great job, but he does it from the the using the legalese of being a federal pros, former federal prosecutor. And he does right. a great job. So the, I won't say one is better than the other. They just do it in different ways. Yeah, I like the way Turley does it. He does it the way Axios tries to do it. He actually tells you why it matters without saying, here's why, why it, it matters. matters. <laughs> <laughs> in the next half hour, Eric and I are going to tell you why it matters. Here's why it matters. Because and, you, you're probably not smart enough to know why it matters. And after we tell you why it matters, we'll tell you why you should care. Yes. And if you don't agree with us and you don't care, we'll tell you then why you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and if you disagree, it just pro- is proof that you're an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, one, of, one of the things that... Uh, I thought of first off was, and and McCarthy said the same thing. Andrew McCarthy, you notice that the hardest one, the hardest one that they're going after him on, is the one that doesn't involve his father at all. Yeah, that, right. yeah, that, the, that, the gun the, that all that all the yeah. tax stuff, right, right. You know, and it's and and so he didn't say this, but the one the I look at it, I go, it's all look, it's all political, because we know it was political from before, so right. you can make the case. I can make the case that I fear it's political that they're going after him on the gun charge because mm-hmm. they're willing to throw him under the bus, Hunter Biden, but then they'll go soft on the tax charges uh, and do some type of plea deal because the tax charges have the great possibility of bringing his father right into it all. Yep. Yeah. And then let me just see what he... Uh, Um, according to the whistleblower agents, oh, this it goes second. Remember that everything of importance that happened in this case happened in Delaware. According to the whistleblower agents, Weiss told them a story of about how he really wanted to file charges against Hunter, but was being blocked by Biden appointed U.S. attorneys in Los Angeles and Washington. By the way, Andrew McCarthy now comes on and says that's all BS. Right. That if that happens, you simply put it to the attorney general and the attorney general says you prosecute. So this all goes back to Garland. Yep. Uh, He goes, the districts uh, that were the proper venues for filing tax charges, as I pointed out, that was a tall tale in the Justice Department when there was a dispute between two U.S. attorneys, which often happens. Maine Justice, that's the Maine Justice Department, gets involved, and the Attorney General decides if A.G. Merrick Garland had been willing to greenlight charges against his boss's son, he would have ordered any U.S. attorney to cooperate with Weiss and file charges. But putting that aside, there are no Biden-appointed U.S. attorneys to blame for Weiss's failure for five years to file the indictment that was finally returned on Thursday as the statute of limitations was on the precipice of expiring. It was Weiss and Weiss alone who delayed bringing one of the most straightforward felony gun cases you'll ever see. Weiss was not being blocked. He was stalling. Yep. Third, the Biden Justice Department. And so I look at this, first thing I thought was, this is Weiss, CYA here. Yeah, I need to, in a big, I, in a big yeah. way. We, and, we, and by the we way, got caught and, fairly short, if you think yeah. about it, in, in fairly short fashion in terms of a special prosecutor. 
It was third, the Biden Justice Department tried to disappear the entire case against Hunter Biden just a couple of months ago. Seven weeks ago, the Biden Justice Department told a judge that there would be no prosecution at all of the gun case and no prison time in connection with any charge against Hunter Biden. So it's rich for the same Justice Department to put out a statement in connection with today's indictment stressing that Hunter is facing up to 25 years imprisonment. If Biden is convicted on any or all the three felonies, his defense lawyers are going to have one of the strongest arguments anyone has ever heard that there should be no prison time. All they will need to do is recount what the prosecutors said and did just six or seven weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Fourth, Hunter's main lawyer is already indicating that the defense will challenge the constitutionality of the federal gun laws to the extent that they forbid substance abusers to keep and bear arms. They're going to use the Second Amendment as a defense for Hunter Biden. Yeah, he's a gun nut. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, Wow. Wow. (laughs) He goes, uh, the, so he goes, uh, uh, just last month, United States versus Daniels, the Fifth Circuit uh, Federal Court of Appeals threw out a conviction of a man who was uh, a recreational marijuana user in possession of a firearm, reasoning that the guilty verdict could not withstand the Supreme Court's interpretation of the Second Amendment in the Bruin case from 2022. Given President Biden's scathing criticism of the originalist leaning Supreme Court's gun decision and championing of the Uh, uh, of the statutes charged against his son, Hunter's defense is going to be very awkward for the White House. So presumably uh, are the defense uh, signals that the president could, uh, could be called as a witness. Fifth, the only case Weiss has brought is the one Hunter Biden uh, is the one Hunter Biden case in which Joe Biden has no involvement. Mm. Tax charges, for example, could have been brought against Hunter, derived from millions of dollars in foreign payments to buy Joe Biden's political influence because of the way Weiss willfully dawdled tax offenses deriving from Joe Biden's time as uh, as Obama administration's vice president, mainly 2014 and 2016, are now time barred. The salient point, the six-year statute of limitations on possible tax crimes and the five-year statute of limitations on possible bribery, money laundering, and failure to register as a foreign agent felonies are still running. Uh, since it's already getting into late 2023, the Biden family influence peddling scheme had to wind down in 2018-2019 when the Biden presidential campaign ramped up. Most of the case is already time barred, and as the statutes of limitations continue ticking away, they are not just ticking as to Hunter Biden, they are ticking as to everyone, including the president. Hmm. Six, the statute of limitations is make or break in criminal prosecutions. It is irrelevant to political accountability. Regardless of today's indictment, the critical investigation right now is the one being run by the House of Representatives. Well, and, you know, it's uh, interesting because I was thinking about that timing that he points out as the now president, uh, then candidate Biden was ramping everything up. That's when everything started to ramp down. 
uh, in terms of uh, political influence and and uh, the selling of that political, the family business, as we call it, for the Bidens. And, you know, you look at the timeline here. We 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 said for a long time, look, nobody is above the law. But this Justice Department isn't going to go after uh, its own president. They're not going to go after Joe Biden. That requires our representatives to do it. And this is why the impeachment inquiry is so important. It must tell the story. And I put this on the Republicans to do a thorough job of telling that story. And I think up until now, they've done a good job in that respect. Well, I was reading some uh, yesterday from uh, a couple of op-ed pieces talking about the fact of people, Republicans, that disagree, uh, you know, that believe that, uh, you know, that, all this should be investigated, but mm-hmm. disagree with the impeachment inquiry, mm-hmm. stating that they believe that the Democrats, and something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that uh, uh, Democrats, Biden could get the one up, that if you finish the impeachment inquiry and don't go forward with impeachment, Biden's going to say there's nothing there. Right. Uh, and I guess the point would, because if you don't believe you have the votes, uh, you would think that the reason you go to impeachment inquiry is because, and, and we, we talked yesterday about Senator Tuberville coming out of that meeting and saying, oh, my God, the evidence was just shocking. It's like, well, you didn't know about this? It, you know, you didn't know what Eric and I know just from public sources? Right. So is there a lot more that Republicans aren't telling us about? Because if they go forward with the impeachment inquiry, do they believe that it will be what they have is so shocking that, as we stated the other day, you actually don't have to go through the impeachment process. The pressure will be there for the president to resign. Hmm. That you actually don't want to get to that point. Because the point that uh, few writers were making over the last couple of days, and we made it, is just the drip, drip, drip without the impeachment inquiry enough uh, over this over this period of time and should you have tried to get the subpoena for the records now instead of waiting for the impeachment inquiry to see if you could have gotten them without going that far? Hmm. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Impeachment inquiry. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where is it uh, going? We will uh, get to that. Some testimony, interesting testimony uh, before uh, Congress uh, yesterday in a variety of different issues. Mm. Gasoline prices up. Yep. But I saw oil went over 90. Yeah. Yesterday. Yep. Wow. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thank you for being here. We'll get to the impeachment inquiry stuff here. Not a lot changed yesterday, but the, the only thing that really ch- uh, changed yesterday is it seemed like the media is uh, off more off the narrative about whether an impeachment uh, inquiry, whether, you know, the, the whole question of whether it takes a House vote or not. Yeah. The whole right. Nancy, yeah. Nancy Pelosi was saying, <laughs> I mean, she got burned big time. Right. Because yeah. she, she was she was stating that, uh, uh, no, you need a vote. It's like, well, and then the audio of her saying, you know, when the impeachment inquiry was coming up for yeah. Trump, you know, there's no need for a vote. There's no need for a vote. There's, so that was sort of dropped. And what you saw in the media yesterday was the narrative of, well, what are the impeachable offenses? And right. McCarthy said, well, we're not there yet. Impeachment inquiry is not impeachment. Do you understand what's going on? We're trying to find out. Here are all these things. Are you concerned about these things? Are you, as you know, people of the media, are you concerned about these things? Do you believe these things are true? Well, that's a testimony. Good. We're working on the testimony. This is not impeachment. Right. This is an impeachment inquiry, which is asking questions as to what is going on. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. But I wanted to get the House Judiciary Committee yesterday was holding hearings on uh, terrorist entries through uh, the southwest border. You know, that so many people are coming in the fear that terrorists are coming in. Mm. And so the, I just want to play the, they had some witnesses there from the administration. But I want to play Chip Roy because this gets to be pretty good. All right. All right. Representative Chip Roy from uh, mm. from Texas. Here we go. Narasta. Prior to September 11th, 2001, how many individuals had flown airplanes into the World Trade Center and killed 3,000 people? Uh, zero. Thank you. Mr. Scott, how many gotaways have there been? 1.7 million known. That means there's evidence, video, whatever. But I can't give you an estimate on how many we don't know in the hundreds of miles of border that are not being patrolled. Mr. Norasta. Where are those 1.6 million gotaways? They are most likely at different places in the United States. Who are they? Working and living. Who are they? Well, there are probably people from different countries around the probably. world. Probably. Probably. People from all around well, the world. They are from different countries around right. the world, yes, sir. Yeah. How many different countries? Uh, well, if the data that we have uh, about those who are apprehended is any indication, a uh, large number of countries, probably about uh, 162 of them from all over the world? Probably, yes, sir. Right. You willing to bet your family's life, my family's life, on the safety of in our country, irrespective of who these individuals are when you don't even know who they are? Uh, yes, sir. The chance of dying from a foreign-born terrorist attack since 1975 I'm sure is 4.4 sure, million Mr. Narasta, I'm sure that is great comfort to the families of the people from 9-11. Because when you sit here and testify that zero people have committed a terrorist attack from crossing our border, I'm sure that is comfort to the people who had terrorist attacks committed by people who came here and overstayed their visas. It is the no fact comfort the matter is, The fact of the, the matter victim. is, when you talk about having an open border, and you minimize the open border by saying that people have to pay $5,000 to come here in that open border, you're ignoring the fact of what that does to human beings when it is, in fact, so open that that's exactly what's happening. 
I'm sure that your position is great comfort to the man in Baltimore who was being held up for ransom for $23,000 so that his little girl wouldn't get raped in a stash house in Fort Worth. Have you talked to that little girl or to that father? Was he a terrorism suspect? Have you talked to that father, Mr. Narasta? No, I'm not aware of that terrorism case. What was his name? Have you talked to that father whose little girl was being raped in a stash house? No, I haven't. Is this right. a terrorism-related so you know, issue? I'm answering the questions, and this is the subject matter I want to talk about in this hearing, Mr. Narasta, because you're the one sitting here trying to tell the American people that our border is perfectly fine, What's that it con- is perfectly okay, that it is, you know, oh, not open because people are paying five or $10,000 to get here. So it is very much relevant that a little girl's getting raped in a stash house because of the policies of you and radical leftists who don't give a damn about it because it is more politically expedient for you to saddle up to the Libertarian Cato Institute or a bunch of radical leftists and talk about, oh, how important it is for people to free flow across borders. I have talked about the chaos repeatedly, sir. The way to reduce the chaos is through legalization and liberalization, not cracking down more. If you cared about the border chaos, that is the way to do it. perpetuate the lawlessness, and you know it, Mr. Benzman. Exact opposite. Mr. Benzman. Can you please expand on your testimony about dozens of terror watch list foreign nationals apprehended at the southern border being members of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Columbia or FARC and how dangerous that is to this country? Right. One of the most disturbing aspects of the border crisis has been the recent development of FARC-related terror watch listed suspects crossing that border. Those are people who have spent years and years involved in murder, kidnapping, drug trafficking, extortion, bombings. They are experts in weaponry. Uh, These are people who the United States absolutely would never countenance coming across the border and never provide a visa for, certainly. Uh, The fact that FARC members, former uh, of the delisted faction, but also there are two FARC factions that are still listed, uh, that those people would cross our border and come into this United States as anathema to all of our homeland security values, a terrible uh, development uh, that we should pay a lot of attention to because a lot of Colombians are coming across. One of, it is true that uh, so far we, um, we haven't seen an attack. This is a, a relatively new thing for FARC, but uh, one thing that we have to worry about is that when FARC members cross into the United States uh, successfully, they will embed themselves in Colombian uh, immigrant communities and very probably uh, begin intimidation tactics, vigilante justice. Uh, this is a terrible thing for Colombian communities inside the United States in general. Plus, these people are uh, pro- professional drug traffickers their whole lives. So we're going to be hearing a lot about FARC people over the next. There you go. Wow. Chip Roy. Uh, wow. Uh, that was, um, it really is a, a, amazing because he exploded. That was Alex Norratz, vice president for economic and social policy at the Cato Institute. Yeah. 
trying to make the argument that what's going on at the border is okay. It's not a problem. It's because o- it's okay. nobody's attacked us. Because nobody's attacked us yet. And, of course, the response was, and nobody ever, you know, nobody ever who overstayed a visa ever ran planes into the World Trade Center. And so that's mind-boggling that that's the defense of somebody from the Cato Institute. Yeah, it is. This just shows you how bad uh, people that call themselves conservatives and or libertarians are getting. Yeah. Yeah, the broken border is not a problem. It's not a problem because we haven't been attacked yet. Terrorism. Think about it. Wow. Terrorists taking advantage of the broken border is not a problem. Well, you know, first day after you defunded the police, there was no problem. Right. Ten days later, there was a problem. Yeah. Two months later, there's a problem. A year later, there's major, major, major problems. But think about that. How low has the Cato Institute gone to use that type of argument as we, by the way, we told you before, you know, when, when, when you, Eric and I took the test about 10 years ago, uh, I think I was, uh, we were significantly libertarian. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're the libertarians. And, and we've had this discussion about libertarians, how they've gone off the deep end. Right. And, and the, the entire thing about, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the border. Uh, I, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I want orderly immigration into the United States and legal immigration into the United States, and we're going to need it. And I know we probably could get into debates with other people that say we don't need it. We do need it. Economic-wise, we need it because the birth rate isn't there. America isn't there yet because of the illegal immigration problem, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to do it. It's one of the things that we'd agreed, we agreed, uh, with, uh, totally and completely with Trump about. Well, when, when, we, we when, either when bring Trump people up, here or we send jobs there. Yeah. You need natural resources. You need people. We're not going to have the people to have a 3% growth rate if that's what our goal is, which would be a great goal. I mean, we, we'll probably hang around, what, 2%? Mm-hmm. But if we want to get back to 3%, you're going to need natural resources. You're going to need plentiful cheap energy. And you're going to need... Uh, legal immigration into this country and more legal immigration because you're not going to have a baby boom anymore and you're not going to have women coming into the workforce as we've had over the last 70, 80 years in this country. It just So there's nothing to fill that workforce that's going to be needed. Now, you may make the argument that artificial intelligence will take all of the jobs. Well, we've been told that technology will take all of the jobs for the last 150 years since the Industrial Revolution or 170 years. And that never happened. Not once. In right. fact, the exact opposite happened. Right. Now, it may be right with artificial intelligence. It, it may take significant number of jobs. Uh, and those jobs, you know, because the training isn't there for people, mm-hmm. uh, especially on non-skilled, uh, more non-skilled jobs, that, that um, you know, that could have effect temporarily. But long term, we're going to grow and we're going to have to have people. If if only we had a president who was killing uh, good paying jobs, including union jobs and encouraging people to 
learn to code. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that our southern border is broken. Our enemy knows it. The fact that there hasn't been an attack as a result of them coming here yet does not take the risk down to the point that was being argued, trying to be argued. Well, the chances of blah, 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 because it hasn't happened yet. But the chances of it's like the Obama argument after the election. Well, there was always a 20% chance. He said this after the 2016 election. There was only there was always a 20% chance that Trump was going to win. Well, no, this is after the election. <laughs> it was much greater than It was 100%. <laughs> and, and after after 9/11, you look at it and say, "Well, of course." And and look and 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 on top of that, look at what Muhammad Atta and the others were willing to do, and how long they were willing to wait for their moment. Yep. It wasn't a week. It wasn't a week. It was a period of years that they were going through their training and planning, and because of failed immigration policy, they were given that much time because we allowed it. Uh, I guess the, uh, and we have said this a long time ago, we had, we had stated this, you know, uh, probably, I don't know, in the last 10 years that libertarianism has gone off the deep end, that there really isn't, you know, libertarianism doesn't mean, libertarianism to me means the federal government's involved in way too much spending of money that should be taken on by local and state governments. Yes. Right. Doesn't mean you well, don't, it, it, does, it, to sit there and say it doesn't mean you have a secure border because his point wasn't even what our point is. You're going to need legal immigration right. and lots of it in the future right. Right. because the birth rate isn't going to be here. Mm-hmm. His point, because he made the point that what's happening at the border right now, unregulated, is fine because there hasn't been a, a, a terrorist attack. That's libertarianism today in 2023. Are you kidding me? You know, they had the problem with the legalization of all drugs, and it may be tougher for them to sell that with what's going on in Portland and other places that have legalized all drugs. Mm. You can still have that discussion, mm. but the evidence isn't looking too good, using Portland as an example on that one. You can still have the discussion on getting into mm. foreign wars. Sure, you can have that discussion too. Right. You can, you can have that. The border thing is insanity. No, we are a sovereign nation, and we must protect our borders. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Wow. I just had to play that because uh, you know, not much has, not much, really a lot has changed in the impeachment inquiry, and we sort of went over that over the last couple of days, so I just mm-hmm. wanted to play that. The border stuff that was going on. 
yesterday, terrorism at the border. And that I mean the and I had to play that from that guy from the Cato Institute because that was insanity. That's pure insanity. Right. It is insanity. And and it's you know, and he's trying to make the point, oh, they're just they're here and they're everywhere. They're just working. They're they just want to make a better life for themselves. Well, in the years leading up to nine eleven, did you say that about nineteen? Were you doing the numbers then? Because it was 19 of them. And, well, but if you compare that to all of those who were breaking immigration law, it's it's relatively few. It only took 19 of them. I remember overstaying your visa was no big deal. Right, exactly. Oh, it's exactly. No big deal. It's not a big visa. deal. Right, they're... They because, had a visa, right, which we, means at one point yeah. we allowed them to come right. here. And we, but sort, we sort of who, vetted them already. Yeah, who cares, no big deal, yeah, right. who cares right. if we don't, well, have you checked up on what they're doing while they're here? Because part of enforcement is that. Jeez. But it was only 19 out of the countless people that came here through the visa program over the years. It only took 19. And it just, it's, it's mind-boggling how we have just given up. Because if you believe it's not a problem, you are laying down. And I don't want our nation to lay down. Well, I think you'll find a lot of Democrats in a lot of cities right now that see that there is a problem with the Biden administration's policy at the border. Well, I mean, you go beyond you go beyond uh, uh, terrorism, and then you get into criminal activity, other criminal activity, and you learn very quickly what border towns and border states have known for a long and been dealing with for a long time. That hardened criminals will come here because they know it's so easy to get here, and they'll stay here because they know that we don't have a policy, especially. Right now, we don't have a policy of enforcing our border so they can get away with it. They're under the radar. They're not going to get caught. And you try and say, well, you know, you hear this insane argument. Well, it's only a handful of them. You're okay with that? You're okay with the actual policy allowing that to happen, tell that to the victims' families. And it's just absolutely insane when we look here at this scenario and people are saying, yeah, I'm, he actually said it. Yeah, he did. Are you willing to bet your family's lives on? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He said yes. Yes. That's insane. It is.
The Bonus Show. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. All right, ton of other stories out there, and it's the Friday Show. I can't believe we got to Friday already. This week has just flown by. It really has. It, it has Ooh. been an eventful week. I, I know. It, I mean, like, it's it's just in, insane how many how many big stories are happening every day right now. And and the nature of the stories. I mean, any big story has, you know, a, a whole list of elements to it. But the nature of them, it just makes you wonder again if everybody is smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> you know, it's it's part of me is like, okay, I'm not quite old enough yet to be walking around all day saying. What the hell's wrong with people? But I walk around all day saying, what the hell's wrong with people? <laughs> I'm getting to be that picture of Clint Eastwood on his porch with the beer, with the scowl on his face. You well, know, you know like my dog from Grand used, Torino. <laughs> my dog used to follow me around. You know, if I would go out in the backyard, whatever, take a break from show prep, walk out in the backyard, hang out for a little while, walk around. Yesterday, I'm just, you know, I'm. As I do, mumbling to myself, and you know, and I open the door to go out, and that's normally her cue to get up. She's usually sitting over by the fireplace on her memory foam mattress that's much better than the mattress I sleep on, and that's one of two that she has. And she gets up and she walks over and she follows me out. Well, I just assumed she was right behind me, kind of left the door open a little bit for her to follow. Then I realized she's not with me. I go back over there, and I look inside the house, and she just looks at me like, sorry, dude, if you're going to keep mumbling like that, we can't be friends. (laughs) And it's not me. It's you. She actually gave me the look that said, it's not me. It's you. She broke up. My own dog broke up with me. And... It's, but we're at that point now where the news cycle is, it really is. It just makes, because you think to yourself, and and we had the question from listeners, a number of questions kind of, you know, uh, come in over a period of days. You know, all right, guys, give us some things to, you know, uh, look forward to or give us some hope as to, you know, where things are going. <laughs> it's like, nah, you guys are on your own. Sorry, we're doomed. But no, I mean there there are things that are, you know, you can see the 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 break in the ice. You can see things like, you know, we talked about EV. Now you've got, uh, you know, it, it, the private sector embraced the whole green thing for the longest time, and promoted things. And now they're looking at it, going, we can't afford to do this. We can't. We won't be here. Our livelihoods will be gone. But so much of the economy will be gone. Producing wealth. We're, we're pouring money into failed technology. But we're pouring money into, uh, I won't say in all cases, failed technology, but technology that is not affordable at this point and is not, the price point is way too high. And it's natural organic setting of someone saying, hey, I want one of those, and a manufacturing uh, company saying, I'll build one of those, but here's how much it's going to cost. And there's still being a real demand for it 
on a large level. We're not there. You know, it's interesting that, you know, you talk about the response and uh, I'll actually get it once in a while when we because we've talked a lot about that where there where there is hope. If you're wanting if you wanted to see where there is hope uh, for the country, because, yeah, I mean, we've been we've been pretty loud and pretty loud this week. I mean, I think about it. Maybe it's because I was on we were on vacation for a week. And so when you're on vacation for a week, you just come in here more frustrated with everything. Yeah, that is uh, th- that is uh, that is that is going on. And uh, I know I showed my frustration a few times, and you probably did this week, mm. just with everything. But still, I will I will stand by that as the stupidity is still there that exists in our society <clears throat> and in our political class. The one thing that gives me hope is that reality has hit the abstract concepts that the left has promoted for such a long time. Yeah, and finally, reality has hit all of them. Almost at the same time, in the same couple of year time span, maybe even in the last year time span, yeah. and it probably yeah. was accelerated by COVID. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, after and you think about it, it was going on during COVID. But if you really look back to it, you go back maybe to March of of uh, was it twenty one when they uh, passed the uh, inflation. Yeah. The the right, uh, right. the uh, whatever that one the one point nine trillion. Right. So we're talking a little over two years. And a little over this two-year period, everything, every major liberal idea has hit the has hit reality. Yeah. All yeah. of a sudden, boom. And it's like, oh, it doesn't work. And I think there are more people, hopefully, you know, willing to listen. And we had talked earlier about, you know, how many years now has it been, you know, that California has been number one in poverty? That goes back. Yeah. Years now. And, and, you, and you look at it, I mean, uh, that they're the number one state in poverty and have been for a while now. And they're the ones that claim that they're the most compassionate. And Gavin Newsom's out there saying the California example is the example that you want. One and in three welfare recipients are in California. One in three welfare recipients in the United States are in California. Yeah. Wow. And and so you look and, and people start questioning, well, maybe it doesn't work. And I hope we're to that point because... I think people are willing to I think more people are willing to at least listen. And we had talked earlier about people that believe that, well, if you're against the government giving that, you know, if you're against the huge government programs that exist, that you don't care. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, I, I care. I don't like waste. Right. I don't like wasting money, right. throwing money, you know, throwing money down the toilet. Right. Either by having a huge federal bureaucracy. And that's why we have stated, and I, I said it earlier today, I, I, when, when we talked about, you know, being a lib, uh, you know, having libertarian tendencies, it's not that I don't expect government to spend money. Of course they're going to spend money. But I think so much of how the system was set up in our country where the founding fathers thought it was the correct way, that the states basically control most of it because the state is closer to the people and what the needs are. And, you know, we had said this many times before to the left. Why are you trying to sell, you know, go back to health care? So we're going back over a decade. Why are you trying to force the entire country into health care? Right. If you want it in your state, go for it. Yeah. Right. And so some of them decided to do it and everyone was a failure. Yep. Because you get it off the ground because they can't pay for it. Or right. if they have to pay for it now, it doesn't work. Right. Well, that's an important lesson for people. Uh, for for people to learn inflation government spending 
-hmm. And we're still torn as a nation right there. Mm -hmm. People are torn between what they need right now, you know, what they need right now, because a lot of people we know, uh, a lot of people are right at the, the edge. And year after year, to be at the edge and be working hard and to barely keep your head out of water and to have to acquire debt, at least from the way you and I think about it. You mm-hmm. and I hate acquiring debt. Mm-hmm. Hate it. Mm-hmm. I hated it when I had no money. I hate it when I have more money. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hate debt. I use it. In fact, I use it to my advantage. I still do it today. I did it yesterday. I looked at all my credit cards and said, okay, which is this? And I don't need to do this, but it's just, it's so, you know, it's so burned into my brain from my father. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, uh, I need to get this and this cost, you know, whatever it is. I go, what's the cycle of my credit cards? And I go, mm-hmm. oh, that one I just got the state statement was just produced yesterday. I'm going to use that credit card. Why? I won't have to pay for this for two months. Right. And so it's like, all right, they think they're going to use me. No, I'm going to use them. Right. I'm going to have that money interest free because I'll pay off the balance in two months. I mean, so, I mean, that's that's how I was, you know, that's how I was brought up. And I was, the only time I was ever really in in debt, credit card debt, was when I didn't have a lot of money and I had a $1,500 auto bill I had to pay. And it took me a while to pay it. And I remember seeing that interest. I hated the interest. I hated mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I now I worked as a bill collector during college, but I saw that and I hated it. Well, I saw the average credit card debt for Americans right now is $10,000. Wow. All right. If you're making the a million, average, the average, yeah. if you're, if you got a million, this just came out like yesterday. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if, if the, um, and that's up, I think it was 8,000 earlier yeah. this year. Yeah. And now, th- when you think about when you think about it, you can't pay that off. It take you years to pay it off. Now, this doesn't mean that I believe that the government, as Josh Hawley wants to do, should control the credit card interest rate. I want to make that j- people have problems, but it's not the government's job to either create the problem or solve the problem by price controls or by government controlling more of the capital. Well, because that move doesn't, in fact, solve the problem. That move would exacerbate the problem even further because then the credit card companies would ramp up to that limit uh, for for most people instead of having a balance of whether you're creditworthy or not determining where your interest rate is going to be. Now, the one thing is you and I, how we view debt, uh, and and maybe this – and maybe I shouldn't judge other people by it because I think one of the wrong things we do in life, we've talked about people on the left that buy into identity politics, which is racism. Mm. So they turn to you, the left people on the left, and look at you know, us and go, well, you guys, are the, you guys are racist. What are you talking about? Why do you say, and you realize that's because that's how they think. Mm. And most people think, well, if I think this way, other people think this way. Mm-hmm. But then you and I started watching Bar Rescue when it first came on, what was it, over 10 years ago? Yeah. And we saw, and I think it was the pirate lady that owned the pirate bar that was in debt close to a million dollars and didn't seem to be concerned about it at all. And when we actually got John Taffer on the phone one day, I think it was you, Mm -hmm. I I thought it was you who asked him, said, what's what's going on? Is is debt the same way? Do they they see this debt as just numbers on paper? Do they actually see it? Because if you think about having, uh, like if you had that $900,000, 
in an envelope, but you owed it. How painful would it be to take that cash, right, and then hand it over? You know, now, now I look at as it as if I had nine thousand in cash and I owed nine hundred or nine hundred thousand in cash, and I had nine hundred thousand and I owed nine hundred thousand to whatever entity bank or whatever. I would consider that to be a fortunate situation to be in. But break even isn't the goal in business. That's that's a break even point. You get into the debt and is and, and is it generational? I asked him. Is it do they just see nine hundred thousand dollars as a on, number? Uh, as a number and they don't look at it as what it is. I mean it's it's money that you right. owe and he said yes. It's that's how they see it. They don't actually see it in real terms. But what 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 got to me is the fact that not only do they owe the debt, but the fact is how do they survive next week? And there didn't seem to be a concern you know, from some yeah, of these the borrowers only about, build. right about, but, but how do you survive? What's your next job? What mm-hmm. are you going to do? And mm-hmm. there seemed to be no worry. So right. I don't know, maybe, maybe the generation after us, I doesn't worry about his debt as much as, as we do and the obligation to pay it off. But one thing that everybody relates to is being hungry and not being able to pay their mortgage mm-hmm. and being uncertain as to where they're going to live, uh, you know, uh, next, next week. Right. Uh, and, uh, how long their job is going to last and everything. I mean, I saw a survey out there about uh, or poll out there about artificial intelligence, and it's like 40% of people believe their jobs may be at risk. Well, it's like, well, do you really know? And nobody really knows on that. That's sort of an abstract concept. But whether you're going to have your job tomorrow because of the economic situation, how much money you have in the bank, and what was it? Still the majority of people, if they had to come up with, Five six hundred dollars couldn't come mm-hmm. up with it for an emergency. Right, right. I can't imagine. I I wasn't in that at my at when I viewed myself as being in poverty when I was living in that small apartment with cockroaches in the refrigerator and fire ants coming up through the floorboards. Mm-hmm. I still had enough to take care of a five hundred dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you know, the first uh, time I had a huge expenditure on one of the first homes that we owned, actually, and it was an air conditioner. It, and I think of this, it was $1,100 to get a new one. Yeah, the evaporator coils or the condenser coils, what would it uh, today, the outside unit. What would it today be for an average home? 10, 12, 14, uh, Depending 000? on the tonnage on it, it yeah. would be, you know, because I think this was two, two and a half tons, whatever it was. But, yeah, uh, it would be uh, multiple times that. You know, it would be several times that today. I haven't priced one in. In several years, I have bought, I bought one uh, several years ago, but I remember that and I, we were able to do it and I was proud of that and think about how little money we made. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, the House did vote on EVs. We'll have that story coming up. This.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Yeah, so, I mean, I if if I was a... Uh, if I was a politician, if I'm, you know, president of the United States and you're thinking about the, the economy and things like this. Now, again, when you're somebody who's served in public office for such a long time, hmm. you've had a lot of, you know, job security out there. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at inflation, when you look at everything, you know, just this just part of the discussion we had the last part of last hour uh, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, finances and, and, you know, government messing up the economy and then then trying to central plan okay we created the inflation now what's the central plan to make the economy better and how do we people that have never been in the private sector or have very limited private sector experience in the government allocate dollars in order to make the economy boom well v- voters oh i, I very quickly mm-hmm. uh watched uh flicked on youtube yesterday and some carlin came on Oh, well, yeah. I had never seen, and I thought I saw everything of Carlin. Hmm. And he was talking about the fact that he goes, don't blame the politicians. This, oh, It's the bit where he does, people say if you don't vote, you can't complain. And yeah. Carlin yeah, said, right. no. You know, if you vote, you shouldn't complain. You put those idiots in. Right. He goes, I didn't vote. I didn't leave the house on election day. <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't even leave my house. Right. He goes, I can complain as much as I want for you idiots putting them in. He <laughs> said, because think about it. You keep putting in the same people. And by the way, he said, and term limits isn't going to work. Yeah. You're just going to put the same idiots in. They'll same be different people, said. Yeah. but the same idiots will be put in. You should be blaming yourself for voting these idiots in. It was actually... Oh, by the uh, way, I saw some something come up on term limits the other day when when Nancy announced that she was going to run again, and that it was like was was that the same day that Mitt Romney announced that he was going to power down? No, it was a couple days. No, it was, it was a couple, a couple days, days after. Days. Yeah, that so he announced. Yeah, when when but but there was the the whole thing. Someone had brought up the whole term limits thing. It's like, well, no, I mean, it's Nancy Pelosi's district. If she decides to retire. They're just going to send the next Nancy Pelosi. It's the people that are sending that type of individual there. That's the way it's going to work. But I, I know, and just I maybe just to conclude the conversation we're having last hour, and I think I, I probably can speak for you in the same way. Since you and I in our lives had no money at times and was really poor and were living day to day and paycheck to paycheck, uh, I don't want anybody to feel that feeling and have that fear. Yeah. Now I will say this. The best the best thing business-wise for me is always having that fear. Because you and I've always talked about the fact that I've always approached whether I have a guaranteed contract or not. Mm. I always approach this job or any job uh, as if it's going to end next week. 
Yeah. You know, as mm. to the intensity and the preparation that you have when you come in to do your job every day. There really isn't when you do this job or any job I've ever done, like, okay, today I can take the day off. Yeah. I've never felt yeah. that way. I don't yeah. I don't want to be that way. I talked about when we came back from vacation, the thing I love about work now is there's no difference mentally for me when I'm on vacation versus when I come back to work. There's never, oh, no, just a day left of vacation, then I got to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And there's, when we went on uh, the Thursday, Friday before vacation, I remember telling you, I said, Eric, all of a sudden I realized we're on vacation next week. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. Which I love yeah. because I love the fact that mentally it's the same thing. The light, my, my life is the same. It's consistent. And, and whatever challenge I face, you know, that day, I'm, you know, pretty optimistic, uh, you know, ab- about it. Now, it and, often leaves me unprepared for vacation travel. <laughs> you know, no, I, oh, yeah, that's, well, I'm like, no, why haven't I planned better? No. And I, it's because I don't, I, I just haven't jumped into the mindset. No, you're right. Because I, I probably could have golfed a few times oh, with my man. buddies when I was back in New York. Yeah. And it's like, I forgot I was going on vacation. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I didn't prepare I, my vacation I told correctly. My, uh, my uh, brother-in-law and, and, and sister-in-law came with us on this trip, this last trip last week. And, and I, on the way home, I was like, you know, y'all, I, I normally plan much better because I did the driving mm-hmm. and the whole thing. And I, I did some of the cooking I did, you know, I was, I was trying to, I was re- I just really wanted to do that and the planning was like man you missed the mark on a number of things and we still had a lot of fun right. but I just don't I don't have that mindset until the last minute when we leave here it hits me oh yeah we're not you know we're okay now I can go do other things and and I I've always sat there and thought because we talk about the the elites mm-hmm. you know it's like well what does that mean you know, the elite people that don't understand middle America or whatever when we talk about the, right. the, the left. And I, the closest I can get to it is there doesn't seem to be a full understanding, no matter how secure I am monetarily in my life, no matter where I end up being, I will never forget the feeling of living paycheck to paycheck and and how close you come when you have debt to will I be on the street? Yeah. And I don't want any, and, and I, and I guess that's the point that if I was a politician or anyone in life, whether you're a radio talk show host, whether you're somebody talking economics, whatever, if you understand what it is like to be down like that, why aren't you searching for the real answers of what really makes an economy go? Mm-hmm. Because when you really are concerned with ma- what makes an economy go so people can have opportunity to do things and what's the best way to have education, you know, all the things that we talk about, education, job creation, whatever. Yeah. You're not worried about the fact that you don't have that that easy socialist sell, which is the government will take care of everything because they won't. Right. But there seems to be that simple answer people want. The government will take care of everything. They'll take care of it no matter what. Well, as we can see the mess that we're in, they're not taking care of everything. Mm. But it took a while because everything was abstract in order to get to this point where reality hits it. 
Right. And so when we talked earlier about hope, that's the one hope that the public will finally wake up and maybe some politicians will wake up and say, what really works? Well, it's, you know, it it's like we have been training in a vehicle where the brakes need to be pumped a lot before it can stop. <laughs> and, and now <laughs> we're driving a vehicle where you just tap the brakes and everybody hits the dashboard. And it is the difference between that abstract and reality and the mentality behind it of being able to have these what we called cocktail discussions in the past. Well, you know, if we would just have open borders, we could blah, blah, blah. You know, we support sanctuary policy. And, you know, it's it, it would be good if we were to defund the police and all of these things, because over the years, we had the luxury of living in the abstract and talking that way without actually catapulting it into reality, which has actually happened in recent years. And that reality is very harsh, as it often is. Because our goal, and I I believe I can speak for you in this one, our goal is not to promote a philosophy that makes our guy or gal win because we like our guy or gal that we wish to put into office. It's not like a sports team that I like. Right. Uh, It's not about, okay, I want to get the Republican win over the Democrat. You know, for without, the sake of the win. For, for the sake of the win, right? For the sake, exactly, for the sake of the win. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> it's not like we want Republicans to win. <laughs> <laughs> don't get us wrong. No, but but the the entire philosophy is, and it's tougher to explain. It's tougher to explain. I think uh, capitalism than it, it. It's it's easier to. It's it's uh you have to you have to dig a little deeper to show how capitalism works versus the simple rhetoric of the government takes care of everything because that's where it leads to the government and they say well no it doesn't because of this and because of this and because of economics and to explain economics and how incentive and disincentive uh you know uh, matter and think about this think about how long we've gone in society. By thinking, you know, and and we even have it part of the GDP now that the movement of money shows a successful economy mm-hmm. instead of the creation of goods and services. Mm-hmm. And any idiot knows that knows basic economics knows that it's a creation of goods and services that creates the wealth of an economy and therefore gives your currency wealth. Right. You know, it's the same thing as the gold standard where people still go by the gold standard. I see the commercials, you know, some of the commercials for gold. Uh, which is, well, I like it because it's there and it's real. And my money isn't real because it's electronic. Well, that's a load of horse manure. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you talk about it, well, no, the last thing you want is an economy based on one commodity. Right. You want it based on the overall health of an overall economy, not just one, you know, one thing. Well, because, but the- and I had that discussion with a friend recently, uh, it, it was while on vacation, uh, and the, you know, it, this, the argument came up again. Well, if the economy goes in the, it, you know, in the toilet, we still have something tangible. And I said, well, in that case, 
if, if everything goes in the toilet, it's not gold that you want. It's water. It's water. It's food and water you want. It's clean water and food. I mean, if we're talking uh, Book of Eli zombie apocalypse. No, no, I was, I was thinking of Book of Eli. But no, but there's there's accuracy in that. No, there is. It was water. What, what, what is the one commodity that everybody needed? Right. You know, elect, me, elect, me, elect, electricity, water, and food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that, that moment where he and Mila Kunis go into that area where there's that water, you know, that's kind of a hidden spot, and they, they have that water. You know, that was a key moment there. It's, it's well, right. what, you're not going to eat gold. Gold means nothing. It has no value. It's what you can use. And nobody was transferring gold when he wanted his batteries charged. What was he giving the other guy? Little bottles of airplane shampoo, wasn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah, yes. Because <laughs> those are and, things you uh, actually was it was it right? And Gen- Jennifer Beale was in that movie. Yeah, she was. Uh, what's his name's uh, uh, Gary Oldman's helper assistant or whatever ah, it was? That was Jennifer Beale. Ah, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't. I don't. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but the guy yeah, he yeah, he got some, but uh from um uh what's his name? Denzel mm-hmm. Washington. Right. But Denzel Washington also ch- traded the charge of electricity right, for right. his batteries for his Walkman. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so though if you have a walk invest in Walkmans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that but that's the entire thing. I mean, Keynesian economics for years. Yeah. That the movement of money. I mean, it's ridiculous, the economic concepts that professors, these these people sitting in these highfalutin colleges, try to sell, and they're full of it. Yeah, it was Jennifer Beals, uh, who, by the way, I was just, I, I had to double-check that. Man, if they ever make a movie, and this is not an insult to her, but if they ever make a movie about Kamala Harris. I mean, seriously. I mean, she or she could play the part, or the other no, or the other woman. Can't think mm. of her name. Mm. The one that does the impersonation. Oh, the, the comedian who yeah. does the impersonation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. She's no great. doubt. Yeah, she's great. No, she's really great at but, making the faces. But I mean, it, it's it's uh you know there's uh it just um you you I, I just shake my head that if you're really concerned and you and you feel and you know what poverty is like. Mm-hmm. And you become somebody who becomes successful. Don't you want to sell the actual economic, the actual economic system that has proven through history to work, even if it's a little harder to explain because the other side has the rhetoric of simply throwing out, oh, government, we can take care of you. Oh, yeah. okay, that sounds great. Yeah. But then aren't we fools ourselves as the public to buy into that? Right. Well, and and that's it. Um, and by the way, I have no problem if you want to invest. You can, as part of your portfolio, you want to invest in precious metals. Oh no, 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 that's fine. I'm I'm just saying diversification, that, is, diversification is one thing, but if we're talking right. about basing an economy, an economy on one on commodity, right? That's a very different discussion. It's pure insanity. Yeah, no, and it doesn't matter. Is smart, and it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter if the United States did it because the rest of the world wouldn't do it. Right, you're still going to be judged by the international currency exchange. Right. That's exactly. how you, which is the market judging the health of your economy. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It just, well, it's, but you know, just thoughts going through my mind on a Friday. That's all. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it's just one of those because 
eventually this, it won't be just tapping the brakes. The brakes will have to be slammed on. And as a society, as a nation, we will have to say, this isn't working. And when we all do that, then our representatives, of course, who will fear for their livelihoods, will look at that and say, yeah, no, you're right. This isn't working. Well, the well, but I don't I don't know where that turning point is. All right. We'll talk more coming up. 866-90 Red Eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on speed and space management. In order to manage speed, you need to understand the four factors involved in stopping a vehicle. Perception distance is the distance a vehicle travels from the time you see a hazard until your brain recognizes it. The perception time for an alert driver is approximately three-fourths of a second. Reaction distance is the distance a vehicle travels from the time your brain tells your foot to move from the accelerator until your foot hits the brake pedal. The average driver has a reaction time of three-fourths of a second. Brake lag distance also needs to be taken into account. When operating a vehicle with air brakes, it takes about half a second for the mechanical operation to take place. Finally, braking distance is the distance it takes a vehicle to stop once the brakes are applied. Braking distance is affected by the weight, length, and speed of the vehicle, as well as road condition. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and uh, and I'm Gary McNamara. And yeah, how did we start on this conversation? Like an hour ago, we started on. I think we just turned the mic on, started yapping. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was all it was all about the economic stuff. Well, but but oh, I know. And and where we are. I mean, we talked about earlier about uh, you know the poverty uh, situation in California being the number. Right. That's where it started. The the whole poverty thing and economics and all this, but. Here's here's and then we started talking about because you said you get emails and I get emails, you know, and, you know, give us some hope. Mm. You know, what what is the hope? And the hope is that the abstract liberal ideas have hit reality. But then as much as I have hope that things are going to go good, you sit there and worry because then you see, for example, uh, when Josh Hawley came out. Well, okay, the government should put price controls on credit card interest. Yeah. Well, no, it's the last thing you should do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The last thing you should do. And then Trump coming out. Now, thank goodness, Trump, when he runs for office, as we saw last time, mm-hmm. is not at all as protectionist as when he got into office. Mm-hmm. But then he's saying 10 percent tariff on every item that comes in from all over the world. Mm-hmm. No, that's not going to happen. Number one. That no, no, it's not. But it is. But but those are those are still two falling back on the socialist philosophy that government control of capital is the way to make an economy better. Right. So Republicans are they may not do it, but they're falling into the same trap. They're promoting, of promoting it. it. Yes. Yeah.
listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And I'm Gary McNamara along with Eric Harley, 866-90-RED-EYE. Gary, National Truck Driver Appreciation Week is wrapping up uh, tomorrow. Saturday will be the end of National Truck Driver Appreciation Week. By the way, drivers, look for all kinds of specials and things going on uh, at truck stops and travel plazas uh, across the nation. I know you always keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, but there's lots of uh, great offers this week uh, and lots of people uh, from the industry that are not drivers that are reaching out and showing their appreciation for America's truck drivers. And over the years, we do that, not not just during National Truck Driver Appreciation Week, but uh, we do that. We try and do that, uh, uh, gosh, and have been doing that since going back to the old show, which started in March of 1969. And we think about the 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 important role of America's truck drivers. Uh, if you're not a truck driver, you think about anything that you have in today's world, especially you think about being able to order something online and have it delivered to your door overnight. And the supply chain that includes that long haul driver and also that last mile driver, that local driver, um, we thank them and we show appreciation for those drivers out there, because uh, I'll tell you, um, that industry right now needs a lot of new people. The trucking industry needs a lot of people, younger people that want to be a part of it. And it's not an easy job. So we thank America's truck drivers. Thank you so much for being out there. We want to say hi and throughout the month of September, by the way. We're recognizing some of the drivers out there. Uh, Audie from McBain, Michigan. He's been driving for four years and we want to say hello to daniel from oklahoma he's an owner operator and he's been on the road for over 22 years now david from joplin has been out there over 31 years behind the wheel and he's leased on with landstar so thank you to these drivers and all of america's truck drivers the men and women behind the wheel that get us our stuff that we need and want each and every day uh, it is uh, it is imperative that they are out there every day. And it's not easy right now, especially uh, for mm-hmm. America's truck drivers. And we want to say thank you to our sponsors who made all of this possible. Shell Rotella, Denny's, Mercer Transportation, Motel 6, House Products, and the St. Christopher Truckers Relief Fund, a great nonprofit organization that I'm proud to sit on the board for and have for years. Uh, they, they help drivers when they have to come off the road. Uh, for an illness or any medical situation. So thank you to all the drivers out there. We greatly appreciate you, not just during National Truck Driver Appreciation Week or this month, but uh, year-round. We thank you. Meanwhile, in the news, Mm -hmm. New Mexico Governor Grisham says state Republicans are fundraising off her back amid her controversial gun order In the state's capital, she said, quote, I'm still waiting for a thank you note from the New Mexico GOP. She wrote Thursday on X, formerly known as Twitter. (laughs) Way to use my call to action around gun violence as a fundraiser instead of using it as an opportunity for immediate action to save New Mexican lives. (laughs) I wish I wish everybody could be where I am right now and just look 
at Eric's face as well, I, I read that to you him. to finish the sentence. But, oh, yeah. oh, 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 okay. Yeah. That was... The, well, it's... It, it, and, you know, this is... Okay, <laughs> want me to finish the sentence? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. New Mexico, you elected a nutcase. <laughs> there you go. That's the exclamation point I was waiting for. Um, but uh, I would say that, no, the GOP took advantage of that and was doing some fundraising so that they could preserve the constitutional right of their constituents. And, of course, you know, she's she's trying to fire back at this huge wave of backlash that she's getting, by the way, not just from the GOP in her state, but members of her own party that are saying, yeah, you know, this isn't going to, this isn't going to work. You can't do this, but it's no surprise, you know, uh, well, make, did, did make, you see what the state, the New Mexico state AG said? I mean, he, he sounded as Republican as any Republican on yeah, the issue. Right. He said, simply put, I do not believe that the emergency order will have any meaningful impact on public safety. But more importantly, I do not believe that it passes constitutional muster, he wrote. This is the attorney general, a Democrat. Yep. The state attorney general. Yeah. Is she going after Democrats? <laughs> right. <laughs> he said in his letter that the order would be inconsistent with the federal and state constitutions. Uh-huh. And the data does not support the notion that law-abiding citizens' right to carry firearms is the cause of gun violence. Hmm. Given that only responsible gun owners are likely to abide, much less recognize your ban it is unclear how this action will lead to a measurable decline in gun violence in our community urging her governor grisham to reconsider her order wow yeah reach for comment grisham's office said new mexico needs leaders to address gun violence yeah how about you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Instead of doing something unconstitutional, ridiculous, and stupid, why don't you do something of substance? Something you admit won't have any impact on the right. crime. Right. You said it. It's not going to affect the bad guys. The governor is looking for state leaders to step up and take bold steps to make New Mexicans <laughs> safer from the scourge of gun violence. No, she isn't. <laughs> no. No, she isn't. She is in some delusional. I, we have to ask the question. Is she smoking weed? <laughs> Thank you very much. You read my mind. Is it legal there? I just haven't checked it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> What's in that? What's in that vape? Have, have you been to dinner with Janet Yellen lately? Uh, or... <laughs> What was Bobert smoking? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or vaping, excuse yeah, me. Vaping, vaping. Yeah. yeah, vaping. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that wasn't smoke from the stage. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... She defeated her own argument right. almost immediately. She's del- she's absolutely... She made her own argument yeah. against herself. <laughs> and she's asking other people to be serious. Yeah. 
How dare you not want to? Well, you don't want to. You're doing something that does nothing. I'm waiting for her to go, well, at least I did something. Yeah, that does nothing. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I, it's no, it's it, it it's insanity over and over again. You know, they make our job interesting. I, I just, I wish, and, and I, you know, we're on our, our great affiliate, KKOB. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wish I could, I wish I could, you know, I, I was offered a long time ago mm-hmm. the uh, when uh, our old boss, Bob Schomper, was program director there. Yeah. yeah. I think, was it the afternoon show? I was offered the afternoon show. Mm-hmm. Man, I'd love to be there just for a couple of days in Albuquerque to deal with it, to see how it's, mm-hmm. you know, just to, to have the feel of how it's going locally. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I that that would be, I, you know, this is what I love about YouTube of of you know you don't get exactly the feel because it's different when you're doing what we do, but YouTube has you know local coverage. It has local TV stations doing things, and I love to find you know the local you know if it Albuquerque, uh, and 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 tuning in to see what the coverage is, what the take is what the local discussion is, that to me is absolutely, it's just interesting all day long. I'd love to just be sitting in on, on Bob Clark's show. Uh, he does the morning show mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And just to see how it, uh, yeah. you know, what, what the feel is, what the feel yeah. is like. Yeah. Because it's just so incredibly, it's, when you have, the major Democrat law enforcement officers come out and say, sound like, uh, sound like the NRA. Yeah. You know, you've got problems. It's just, it's just one of those, it's just one of those, uh, to me, it's just one of those topics on the local front and in the state front in a, in a smaller state in Albuquerque that, you know, the major population center in New Mexico be interesting just to, to see how it and, and it applies there. I mean, that's you know, there are hot air balloon festivals coming up here in a few weeks. I was just thinking about every time I think of that, because I've had family members that have been going to it for years and I've been wanting to go. My wife wants to go. I may have to make a and, trip and, to and, Albu- and we're on and fly in it. I don't know about that yet. Yeah, Not I, sure. I'm kind of mixed I, on the I'd going too, I'd up be, in a, Yeah, I'd be too scared. In a hot air balloon. Yeah. I think it'd be fine. I'll go up in an F-16 as like I did with the Thunderbirds. But it doesn't mean I would be fine. Balloon. <laughs> you know, it it may be perfectly safe, but I may not be fine. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, we the final weekend of it, actually, we'll be on vacation. Yeah, you could go. Yeah, I could leave out that friday all right why don't why don't you go then and you can uh, when you're on vacation you can see if you can get an interview with governor the governor of new mexico i'm not going to run my vacation <laughs> first question um <clears throat> could you tell me what you're vaping yeah right <laughs> why are you trying to take away the rights of people like hunter biden <laughs> President's son, who was a gun nut. (laughs) 
And why is Joe Biden's <laughs> Justice Department being weaponized against his own son? It's going to float these out there. See if they'll fly. Let's see if these hot air balloons will fly. Let's see what will float now, that would the be, weekend. That would be the ultimate, though. <laughs> Joe decides to campaign with Hunter in New Mexico. Yeah. With, <laughs> with the governor right next to Hunter sitting there. That That'd be a perfect portrait. Actually, have the governor patting down Hunter Biden <laughs> before he enters the state. <laughs> Sorry, Hunter. We have to do this. Oh. Uh, I just... Uh, uh, in response, a National Rifle Association filed a lawsuit on Thursday. Mm. Uh, the remarks came after the state Republican Party sent fundraising notices related to the op- uh, relating to the opposition uh, to Grisham's orders announced last week that temporarily bans open and concealed carry of firearms in Albuquerque in re- re- response to National Rifle Association filed a lawsuit Thursday. Please rescind your unlawful and blatantly unconstitutional orders and uphold your oath to defend the constitutional rights of those uh, in uh, uh, Albuquerque and everywhere else. Until then, we'll see you in court. Mm-hmm. But didn't another another uh, gun group, though, already got a temporary restraining order, didn't they, the other day? I thought it was mm. Gun Owners of America or something. Yeah, I, thought yeah. They got one. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I thought yeah. So. I mean, the whole case is weak. It's so weak. It's so weak. Uh, this, it's, You know, the thing is, it's not... It, Here's the thing that gets me. I, I'm not surprised by any liberal Democrat trying to pass gun laws. But this was so obvious to backfire. It gets back to the fact, are they in such a delusional bubble that she actually thinks that somehow she is winning this argument? Either that or she's <laughs> smoking weed. <laughs> Everything goes back. To- Jerry Brown was right. Everybody can't be high. Well, somebody has to actually do the work and have critical thinking skills. Yeah, but apparently they are. 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, UAW on strike. We'll get to that coming up following uh, the top of the hour, the latest on that. A couple of stories here. Eight Demo- House Democrats join Republicans in voting to strike down California's electric vehicle mandate. No. Wow. Now, won't get through the Senate, but no. <laughs> no. 222 to 190 vote. Then again, you never know. But then again, Biden wouldn't sign it. So well, and we're not close enough yet. You know, I mean, no. It, we're going to have to wait until the train completely derails and economies are destroyed before we go, oh, yeah, we shouldn't do that. It's insanity. There has to be destruction before we change yeah, our path. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.